Paul writes, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 8 through 17. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know, the, know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, as we start this series, and we're looking at love, um, we're essentially looking at what it means and what it looks like to be a Christian. What does Christian look like? How does it translate into everyday life? These qualities are the result of a life filled with the Spirit of Christ. We're talking about Spirit-filled believers. Upon our confession, upon our, our conversion to Christianity, we are in, in filled, filled up with the Spirit, and this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, I want you to notice this as we are starting this series. Keep in mind that we are not talking about fruits of the Spirit. It is singular. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a package deal. When you're a Christian, this is what it looks like altogether. These are not rules to follow. These, these, these are, this is something that is a result of our being united with Jesus Christ. This is what it means, this is what it looks like. These are the hall, this is uh, the hallmark or the defining traits of what it means to be a true Christian. And as we look at love, love is a very important theme in Christianity. Amen? It is the most defining theme of, of, of who we are apart from faith. Love. You people will know you by your, excuse me, that you belong to me by your love for one another. Well, what is love? Paul writes about what love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 4, he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, believes all things. Love never ends. 
This is the definition that we have of love. And as the young lady said on the screen there, God is love. This is what he is. And it is the central theme of our life. It's a central theme. And, and as much as it defines a Christian, love is even the primary way that we're judged by the world. The world looks at us and they judge us by the measurement or the, the amount of our love. How we love, and no matter how distorted that view is, no matter how accurate their view is of love, it is by love, it's through the lens of love that they are looking at the Christian and, and judging our merit. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you it's, it's, it's very ironic and funny to me that every unbeliever knows um, of John 13, 35. Right? They know that Jesus said that by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, they're looking in. They're seeing how we are dealing with one another. This is what they do. We, we hear things from them, from the world. We hear things from people outside of the Christian community. You've heard things like, what about the Crusades? What about the Inquisition? Or what about how you all treat each other when a pastor falls, right? This is what they say. Whether right or wrong, know that they are watching us. Know that we are being watched by our love. You might have even heard this from Mahatma Gandhi. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. What is he referring to? The way that he's experiencing the so-called love of Christians from England as they are subjugating India. This is what he's referring to. Love defines the Christian. But listen, you don't have to look through the chronicles and annals of time in order to realize that love is important and also in order to realize that love is challenging. Love is hard. Uh, the young lady on the screen also said that, listen, it is hard when I think about love. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine someone saying this, I, I hear you, preacher. I hear what love is, but, but I know how to love when, when, uh, when my wife gives me the gift that I've been wanting for quite some time. I, I know how to love then because I'm not as irritable then, right? He said when the kids are on their best behavior and they get in the car without fussing, without fighting, without fighting, when they go through the store and not ask for every single thing on the shelf, he says, when they, when they do that, I know how to love. Because then I'm definitely patient then. I need you to talk to me about when love is hard, right? That's what we need to talk about today, if I can get this thing working. This is round two. Same thing happened. I've got me to take this off here. Let me get you some help this morning. All right, amen. So he said that, so, so it is difficult. Tell me about what it means to love when it's hard. Tell me about what it means to love when my spouse and I have a sharp disagreement. Not that preachers have sharp disagreements with their wives, right? T tell me what it means uh, when my kid is grabbing every single thing when we are walking through a store. Tell me how to love. When I'm irritated and all I want to do is get home and get some sleep, tell me how to love, how do I love when a fellow church member or Joe on the job or the Facebook ranter? Yeah, I just made a word up. The person that rants on Facebook, we know what that person is, or on Twitter. Tell me how to love then, and that's what we're going to talk about today in bearing that fruit of love, even when it's difficult. And so my central theme this morning is that I hope that we walk away this morning with a clear understanding 
of how to faithfully, faithfully love and bear the fruit of love in interacting with people and doing the stuff of life. How do we do that? And so before I jump into what we're, how we're going to do that this morning, let me pray to God for some help. Father, I pray to you right now that you would enlighten the hearts and minds of your people, that you would quicken our hearts, Lord, that we will not leave this place the same way we came in. Your people experience new birth as a result of interacting with your word. And so, Lord, there are some areas in our, in our life, God, that we can use some life. Will you breathe into us this morning? Lord, will you use me, this broken vessel, to preach your word? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at three words that I believe best epitomize what this text is trying to tell us about love. And you can find all of those words in the text. The first word we're going to look at is the word abide. The word abide. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus states, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So, so what's the context here? The context here for about th two chapters now, Jesus has sat down with his disciples and he is going over something called the Last Supper. Jesus has probably let, laid before them the elements of his body and of the wine. Jesus is doing washing of feet. He's explaining to him what his death means and that the fact that he's going to have to leave them. Jesus is uh, giving his last speech before his death and resurrection to his disciples. And one of the things that he talks about is one of the great I am statements of John. I am the vine and you are the branch branches. This is the context in which he says this. We see this in John 15, uh, verse 1 and 4. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So this gives us a clear understanding of where Jesus is headed when he's talking about abide in me. What he's saying is, I want you to abide in the vine. I want you to abide in the place where you get the nutrients to live. I want you to abide in the very definition of love. I want you to abide in me. So as we're talking about what it means to love and how can I love when it's difficult, and how can I love the first thing Jesus is saying that, hey, I want you to abide in the source of love. You have to remain and stay and reside in the love of Christ. Abide in my love. You see the picture here on the wall here about what that looks like. The vine is the place in which all of the nutrients flows through, that anything that grows out of the, the vine, which is the branch and the leaves and the fruit, may get its nutrients. See, a lot of times we try to do love and we try to muster it from our own strength and we fail at it and we become so discouraged because we say that, hey, I don't know how to do this thing. I am so, my behavior is so predictable. When my wife pushes this button, I always have the same reaction. How is this so? Oh, she knows me so well. When, 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 when someone says this to me or they look at me this way, I react the same way. It's typically because we're trying to do it out of our own strength. But Jesus is inviting us to say, no, I need you to stay with me. Stay in the vine. 
says, if you are going to be um, uh, grow in this area of love, you have to dwell in the agape. Now, I'm going to take you through some of my tradition. I want you to look to your left and say, neighbor. I want you to look to your left and say, neighbor, dwell in the agape. She doesn't have anybody. That's all right. I want you to look to your right and say, neighbor, dwell in the agape. Listen, what does that mean? That means dwell in the unconditional love of Christ. Dwell in it. Be right there. Be the, the word agape is the word that explains God's relationship to his people and how he loves his people. He says, that's where I want you at right there. I want you to dwell in a place where you know my love for you. I asked my wife, I said, love, when you hear this, this statement, dwell in the love of Christ, what comes to mind? Oh, and she quickly reminded me of, of our 20-year relationship. She says, I, I remember when we were in that puppy love stage. She said, all we wanted to do was dwell in one another's love as we understood it. You, you, you said, when, when we called and when we talked on the phone with each other, we didn't want to get off the phone. Three hours talking about nothing. And, and when it's time to go, uh, go off and get off the phone, you, no, you, you hang up the phone. No, you hang up the phone first. You, you first. No, no, no. You first. This was even an occasion where I fell asleep because all I wanted to do was dwell in the love. I'm getting too deeper for somebody. Listen, it's, 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 I wanted to just to be around you. I wanted to dwell in your presence all the time. My wife, uh, family said that Desiree were going out to Walt Disney World in Florida from St. Louis. And so get ready. Oh, that puppy love shot up to it. Oh, I don't want to be away from my husband, my, my future husband, James. Can he come along with us? A little awkward. I didn't go. And even when we were away from one another, when she went off to college, six hours away in Miami, Ohio, and I was in St. Louis, all we wanted to do was write letters to each other. Back when we still wrote letters, I miss you. Sad face. A little tear on the face there. This is before emojis, okay? I, I'm, I'm, I'm aging myself here. All we wanted to do was dwell in one another's presence. What we're talking about here is not puppy love. We're talking about essential love. We're talking about real love. We're talking about unconditional love that's not predicated upon how I'm feeling any particular day. We're talking about a love from God that says that, listen, I love you no matter what because I'm looking at someone who's done something that secures my love for you. I'm looking at what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus says, I want you to dwell in that. To dwell in the agape is to dwell in not just a place, but to dwell in a person. To dwell in Christ himself. It is the benefit of having him and the benefit of having what comes as a result of being in him. He says, that, listen, I want you to dwell with me. What do you do when you dwell with someone? You, I want you to meditate, think upon, watch, believe, invest in those things that reinforces my love for you. It means to continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. Dwell in my love. And you get a look closer to what it means to love more according to the fruit of the Spirit. And the best expression of that is, is, is the only way that we can actually abide in the love. The, the best expression of that is our next word. This is very interesting to me when I read this. It's to obey. That's the best, best way to do this, through our obedience. Let's pick up in verse 10. 
Jesus states, the Master, our Lord, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Listen, he, he says that if you are going to abide in my love, to abide is to obey. To abide is to obey. Now, this is very uh, difficult for, I think, Western Christians to buy into this, particularly of the Reformed camp, because we are taught, rightfully so, that, that we are to think about what God has done for us, what he has accomplished for us, passively. It's done. What Jesus has done on the cross has been accomplished. Meaning that Christianity does not spell D-O, it spells D-O-N-E, essentially. What makes you a Christian is not what you do. What makes you a Christian is your faith in the Lord, and the Lord is going to hold you down. Amen? But we cannot do that to the, to the neglect of doing. Faith without works is dead. Christianity doesn't stop with the words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It doesn't, it doesn't stop right there. It starts right there. And that's where it starts for us. It begins there. And out of that reality, we are doing, out of the reality of being Christian, out of the reality of being loved and being accepted and being grafted into the, into the, the family of God, out of that reality, we must do. We have to do. And sometimes we quickly associate obedience and command keeping with legalism. And in that, we must understand two principles. Listen, one, keeping commandments is a biblical thing that has never ceased. Keeping commandments is a theme in the Bible that has never ceased. There's somebody here to say that I thought that I escaped that thing. No, I'm bringing you right back to it. You're called to keep commandments. What? The commandments of Christ. The new commandments of Christ. We see this theme throughout the Bible. 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fed of rams. Exodus 19.5 says that now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. John 14.15, If you love me, keep my commands. 2 John 1 and 6, and this is love. What? That we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. We are called, we are people that obey the commandments of Jesus. We are people that are constantly checking, what did you say about this, Lord? I know it's corny, but that bracelet was very powerful to the Christian. What would Jesus do? That is what, that is how we, we, uh, we govern how we move and how we acted as it pertains to keeping the commandments of the Lord. Being obedient, following through on what he said. Something that my mother hated doing growing up, she hated telling me to go get her something. To go get her something because she knew that she would always get a similar result. Okay? So this is, this is 15, 16, and sometimes even, uh, 30, mid 30 uh, year old James. Okay? Uh, my wife would tell you that. Uh, my, my, my mother said, Jimmy, come here. I'm, I'm, I'm Jimmy. Jimmy, I want you to go upstairs, and I want you to go into my room, 
you'll see the dresser. On the right side of the dresser, look down, you'll see a pair of green shoes. Go get those shoes from me and bring it back downstairs. All right, Mama, I got you. Don't even worry about it. Go upstairs, look around, come back. What's the result? I, I didn't find it. Jimmy, tell me what you did. I went upstairs and looked on the floor, and I didn't find it. Jimmy, that's how my mama talked. Jimmy, listen. That's her way of saying, listen to me. Go upstairs on the right side of the dresser. Look on the floor. You will see my green shoes. Bring it down. What happened the second time? I found those shoes, and I brought it down. She said, brother, if you will listen and carry out what I say, you will always get the result that I want for you. You will always get the result that I want for me. This is the command. Listen, you are no close, more, no more closer to Jesus than when you are in his will, when you are in the vine, than when you are obeying what he has told you to do. We know we feel distant from the Lord when we are being disobedient. We know we do when we walk and we veer off. We know we shouldn't have said that to our wife. We know that we shouldn't have raised our voice at our children like that. We know that we shouldn't have looked at that person that way when they cut us off on the road. We know that thing. I'm talking to somebody in this place. We know that, but you're close. Jesus says, listen, if you want to abide in me, obey what I say. Do what I tell you. The second principle I want to see is keeping commandments should not be associated with judgery or with joy. There's some people that listen to me right now and they're saying, oh, my word. Is he talking about keeping commandments? Oh, yes, Jesus is. Not the preacher, Jesus is. Verse 11 says that these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When you think about keeping commandments, I want you to think about your joy being full. Listen, when I tell my children to, to do what daddy says, look both ways before you cross the street. Listen to me. Keep your voice down right here. Listen to me. It is for your good that I'm telling you this thing. It is for your joy, even though you may not understand it right now, it is for your joy because it's keeping you safe. And we keep, we are so encouraged by scripture and we should be that the fact that God says that I withhold no good thing from those, from those I love. All good things come from above. It comes from the Father. God is not in the business of withholding good things from his people. No, he says that I'm telling you this thing. Keep my commandments. It doesn't always feel good. But keep my commandments that your joy may be full. Keep my commandments. And so when we are looking and when we're talking about loving, Lord, we're asking the questions constantly. Lord, when I'm angry, how do I love? When I'm hurt, how do I love? When I lust, when I greed, when, when my enemy um, um, is, is, is coming against me, how do you want me to, what is your commandments regarding this thing? with my ethical decisions, with my politics, with my social media. I'll say that again. With my social media. How am I to be Christian? I want to dwell in the reality of your love for me. What do you want me to do? And that brings us to our last point. What is it that the Lord is calling us to obey, particularly in this text? And we see that in verses 12 through 17. The last word there is bear, He's calling us to bear. Verse 12 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So if this invitation, the invitation here is to abide and to obey is to abide, to what end is the Lord inviting us to do this? What does he have in mind? According to the master, it is that we may bear fruit. That we may bear fruit. If you are part of a healthy vine, the branch will bear fruit. We see this. We see in, uh, in, in verse 16, our purpose in life. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should, what? Go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I chose you for this. Now, this is using classic election language. I chose you. And now, this is, not, this is purpose over privilege. This is not, I, he chose me, so I've been chosen for the kickball team. Look at me. I'm so good. No, this is, I chose you for purpose. You had nothing to do with why he chose you. It's hidden in the, wisdom, in the will of God. We don't know. But he says, I chose you not for privilege. Not that you may brag about it. I chose you for purpose. Well, 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 what's the purpose? The purpose of bearing fruit. Do we see this throughout all of Scripture? That this is the theme, the, the will of, of the purpose of man, what is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, as the Westminster Confession says. We agree with that. We exist to glorify God. How do you glorify God? By bearing fruit. This is what the top of the chapter says. You glorify God by bearing fruit. We see this in Genesis 1, verses 11 through 12, verses 22 and 28, Isaiah 27 and 6, Hosea 14 and, 40 and 4 through 8. It paints a picture of believers bearing fruit. It paints a picture of everything that exists bearing fruit. I made you to be fruitful and to multiply. If you're not bearing fruit, then you're not uh, carrying out the Adamic um, will or the Adamic covet, uh, purpose. What, what do you mean? You're not carrying out what God has called you to do. Bear fruit. But what's the fruit that Jesus has in mind? Well, he has the fruit of love. Love in particular. Notice that the Lord opens up with, this is my commandment. This is what I want you to do. What follows is the commandment. The fruit is, if, is, is that we love one another as Christ has loved you. That's the fruit that I want you to bear. I want you to love people as I loved you. The fruit that we're called to bear this morning is a sacrificial love. Listen, Jesus, the night before he died, addressed Christians from that day and every day that, uh, that's to follow. What I want you to do is love, and I want you to love others as I have loved, loved you. Now, this is interesting. The two commandments can be summarized, the two greatest commandments can be summarized in two statements. Love God with all your heart, with everything in you. Love people as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the type of love that he wants us to have with other people. Love them as you love yourself. 
But the type of love that he says for the believer to the believer, I want you to love your brother and your sister as I have loved you. A very particular and special type of love that is, that's needed when you're with people all the time. When you're around the people that you're going to be around all the time, you have this special type of love that he has for those that are family. I want you to love them as I have loved you. And how do I love you? I loved you sacrificially. I loved you as a friend. I laid down my life for you. And that's what I'm calling you all to do in your everyday lives with one another. Love one another sacrificially. I like what John Piper says regarding sacrificial love. People look at us. What do they see and how we love people? Do we give up things? Do we sacrifice? Does it pinch us? Does it stretch us at all? John Piper says this. Why don't people ask us about our hope? The answer is probably that we look as if we hope in the same things they do. Our lives don't look like they are on the Calvary Road, stripped down for sacrificial love, serving others with the sweet assurance that we don't need to be rewarded in this life. Sacrificial love is costly. You want to gain your life according to the Christian motif. You want to gain your life, you must lose it. If you want joy, you must, you must let yours go and invest in others at times. If you want to know, receive, and abide in the love of Jesus, you must give yours away. You must give something away. So I have two very simple questions for us as we close this morning. One, do you want to experience more the love of Christ in your life? Know this one thing, that it's not by what you produce. It's by allowing Jesus to live through you. That is a passive action while allowing the Lord to live through you by simply, you ain't got to do nothing. It's not complicated. You don't have to do much. What do you have to do? Just do what he says. Second question is, who is God inviting you to love like Jesus this morning? What do you have to go back to and apologize? What do you have to forgive? Who has God called you to sacrifice for in, your, in the way you love? Very important question for us. Jesus is saying this as he is laying down his life for his brothers and sisters. He's saying this at the Last Supper. He's telling them that I am the vine. I'm used to turning this way. I am the vine to his brothers and to his friends at the Last Supper. Well, we are invited to that same table this morning where we can too sup as Jesus did and as his disciples did on the love and mercies of Christ, knowing that the Lord loves us and we have an opportunity this morning to dwell in the agape love of God. It says that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and said that this is my body that he did not drop, broken for you, take and eat. Likewise, he took the cup and said that this is my blood, the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. If you are an unbeliever in this place, meaning that if you're still kind of trying to figure out what Christianity is, we ask that you abstain from this meal because it's just for Christians, but we do invite you into fellowship. We want to get to know you. We want to talk with you. We want to share our hope with you about Christ and his love for you.
If you're a believer, we ask that you come forward and boldly take communion. Wine is marked by twine. Juice is not. We say do whatever your conscience permits. And we have gluten-free options uh, in the room as well. Come in uh, when you're ready. Let's pray.